You're listening to AskDaryl.com. You've got questions, we'll get you the answers. AskDaryl.com. Hello, welcome to episode number 62 of the Ask Daryl podcast. The Ask Daryl podcast is where I, your host, Daryl Girardier, take your questions on social media, technology, and communications, all dealing with the church, and do my best to answer them in the most brief yet thorough way possible. Today, we're talking about freelancers. More specifically, we're talking about hiring a freelancer to do a job for you and your organization, church, whatever that may be. Um, and the reason why we're talking about this is because recently I'm in the process of dealing with this and have been dealing with this. And I realize for a lot of us, we really don't know the best practices for how to do this. Um, there really isn't like a, a how-to guide, if you will. Um, there's various places that kind of list some things you should do. But I, I thought I would kind of give you a walkthrough of the process that you need to look through determining what kind of freelancer you need, uh, how that process needs to work with you and the freelancer. And so today we're going to talk about the, the hiring process all the way up to actually starting the project with the freelancer. Um, so buckle up, here we go. So let's say you're in a scenario where you've got a project for your church and it's uh, maybe a new website, maybe a new brand. And the reality is you've been given some cash to say, hey, you know what? You can go get a freelancer to do this. Maybe it's a video project. And you're like, yes. So you've been given like this amount of money. I don't know what it is, but you've been given this ability to go in and get a freelancer. So how do you begin that process? Well, the first thing you need to do is before you even call a freelancer, before you even begin the process of putting the word out there that you're looking for somebody is, you need to clearly state what you're going to be asking the freelancer to solve. What problem are you going to be asking your freelancer to solve for you? Um, You need to think of what you're dealing with as like a problem that needs a solution. Um, For example, um, you need to approach it like, let's say it's the website. Um, you don't want to state, hey, we need a new website. You want to state what's wrong with your current website in the form of a problem. So you might say, our website's outdated. It's uh, it's out of date. It's hard to update. It's really slow. Um, we need to figure out a solution for this. Because what this allows you to do is, as you begin the process of working with a freelancer, the freelancer can come up with the best solution for your problem. Um, versus you presenting to them not only the problem but also the solution. You want to include the freelancer in that process because it's going to help them better determine whether or not they're the right person for you. A good freelancer is going to look at your problem and go, okay, am I the right person to solve that problem versus just giving them a generic solution. So you want to really simply state, if you can do like a single sentence, that's really perfect, what it is the problem you're trying to solve. Maybe it's a brand branding issue you're going through. Maybe it's a video for Easter that you need to accomplish. If you're hiring a freelancer for a pretty you know, in-depth project or a pretty major project, clearly state what you think the problem is. And that will go a long way with helping you understand what you're going to ask the freelancer to accomplish. Okay, so that's step one is state the problem. Simply as possible, state what you think the problem is. Not the solution, but the problem. Step two, determine which part of the problem you yourself can tackle and which part you need the freelancer to tackle. Um, you need to determine that on the front end because sometimes what happens is, is you bring in a freelancer and the freelancer ends up doing stuff that you yourself could have done or you yourself wanted to do. Um, and then all of a sudden there's just kind of this overlap of roles. So you to help you clarify what you're going to do and what the freelancers are going to do, understand when you look at the problem, kind of take a look at it and say, okay, 
I can do this and I need you to do this. Okay, I need you to solve this part because I know I can solve that part. Uh, for, so here's an example for that. For me, we're in the process of getting ready to do a website redesign for one of our major ministries inside the church. Um, we can handle the web development, which is kind of like building the infrastructure. And we can also even define what the user experience needs to look like for the website. But the interface, the, 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 the design of the interface, I really don't have an interface designer on my team. So when I go and try to state the problem that I'm having to a freelancer to possibly hire, I know that the fact you are taking care of this section of it and I've got this section of the problem. So we've clearly defined what those roles are going to be between the two of us. Step number three. I'm going to create a detailed document that's going to outline the following, what the budget is for the project, um, a history of the problem or a history of where we've been in this area. So they kind of have a, so whoever takes the project on kind of has a, 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 a key understanding of, of what the history is. Um, I'm going to talk through what our timeline, where our deadlines are, what our, our, our realistic deadlines we believe should be. Um, what we believe the deliverable should be. Now, again, you're not so much stating these are what the solutions are to our problem, but this is what the end result will we'd like to see happen. And understand that deliverables can sometimes shift in a project as well. So keep that in mind. Um, also, I'd like to sometimes in this document, I want to give some comparative work. Here's some things that people we know have who have done something similar to us that we really liked, and here's some of the things we really liked about that. I think comparative work, showing that, you know, grabbing examples, I think is really good to kind of get um, the uh, the juices flowing for a freelancer to when they come and work with you. Um, determine also in that document the established lines of communication. So in other words, how are they going to communicate? Is it going to be via Slack, via email, via phone? What's the primary method of communication? That may seem like a small thing, but trust me, that goes a long way with determining how that is going to play out. You also need to determine in the document who is going to be your Spock. And no, I'm not referring to Star Trek. I'm referring to your single point of contact, your SPOC. Every project you do needs to have a SPOC, a single point of contact between you and the freelancer. So the freelancer is not getting five different phone calls from, from different people in the church. They're just dealing with you. That clarifies so many things in terms of you making sure the project's on, on, on track and they're not dealing with all of these random emails and requests. So just define for you a single point of contact. So this document should contain the budget, a history of the problem, deadlines, deliverables, comparative work, established line of communication, and who the SPOC is going to be. Um, I used to call these things an RFP, which is a request for proposal. Um, and this is what I would actually send out to all of my freelancer friends, and they could look at it and determine if whether or not they were up to the task to do that project. So now it comes to step four, which is if you don't have a designer in mind, then you take this RFP and then you post it in certain places that you know designers can go and see it. So example would be like you can go to Fiverr99designs or if you already have a trusted like area group of designers or video producers or web designers, whatever that is that you know you could send this out to, um, you go ahead and send that out as well. So you kind of, so you, this is where you start basically think of it like the, the thumb, the tack board, the bulletin board in college where you used to post up. Now the time you start posting this, this document and saying, hey, here's what we're looking for. And then you can all of a sudden you start getting people sending their quotes in or and start bidding on the work, if you will, and say, hey, I'd like to take a look at doing that. Um, once you do that, once you have got those designs in, this is part of step four is start taking those and start reviewing the work. So you can kind of start narrowing down 
the, the, the freelancers to the top three or four freelancers you want to work with. Now, step five is you want to begin the process of choosing that designer or the designer, web designer, video producer, whatever, whatever that is. Here is a good, and I know I've talked about this before, actually, I think in one of the episodes where I talked about um, which you should pay a graphic designer. Um, in the process of choosing a designer or choosing a web developer or whatever that is that you're choosing for a freelancer, here is something I always look for. I always look for somebody who asks more questions than presenting answers. Because what it tells me right away is that they're one, a really good listener, and two, I'm not going to get a templated solution that they've already kind of predetermined for me before they even asked, actually actually heard about my problem. So I'm looking for somebody who asks a lot of questions, and I can tell that they have a methodology to what they do. The really good freelancers, the really good creative agencies I've worked with, people who helped us out, ask a lot of questions because I know they're trying to get the right solution for us. So that really, really, really tips me off. Um, the other thing you want to know is, in, in terms of this part of the, the process, once you nail down to the top two or three people, and let's say you got the person you think, this is the person I want to bring in for this job, call the references. Find out previous people they've worked with. Um, you can do that via probably looking at their website. You can ask for references, however that is. But you need to call around and you need to get some verification that this is the right person for you. Can they deliver on time? Can they deliver on budget? What's their communication style like? Are they consistently communicate? Did they listen? Are you happy with what you got? Once you do all those things, the last thing you need to do before you land on the designer is, and this is a, this may seem like a small thing, but this is where all of my all of my designer friends and all my video producer friends, uh, where they get the angriest, I think. Well, maybe not the angriest, but one of the areas that kind of frustrates them the most is is you, you need to clarify with them the revision revision process. And what I mean by that is is how many revisions you get on a design on an interface for a website. Because what can happen is, is that sometimes ministers, um, and I'm not just saying just because they're ministers, but sometimes I find most ministers feel like they can get unlimited revisions on a project. And what they don't understand is every revision is costing that designer time. So find out how many revisions you're allowed. A good rule of thumb is I typically say it's three revisions, maybe even down to like two to three, but no more than three. Typically get three revisions, and by the time we land on third revision, we're locked. We got to go, especially if it's a project that's multifaceted, that's got many moving parts. So make sure you understand how many revisions you get on your project, your video, whatever it is that you're, you're doing. Last step is this. Determine how the items are going to be delivered in what format. Um, are they going to be delivered via Dropbox, OneDrive, Box, uh, Box.com, any of those things? How are you going to get those final assets on a hard drive? And what format are they going to be in? And do you understand what to do with them once you get them? Um, there's nothing like getting an InDesign file for maybe like a book that you had designed and you not have InDesign and you're like, oh, actually I need this in a PDF. So define those things on the front end that you're going to know how am I going to get these items? How are they going to be delivered to me? So you have a clear understanding of what you're actually going to have, a tangible asset you're going to have at the end of the day. Are they going to install the web design they designed for you? Um, where's that website going to sit? Um, who's going to pay for that website, the monthly bill on a website they designed for you? Those are all the type of things you need to figure out in terms of the deliverables. And the last part of step six is this, is not only do you determine, determine the deliverables, but you need to determine a pay schedule that you agree on. How are you going to pay this freelancer a lot of the the ones i normally deal with is it's usually 50 percent on the front and then 50 percent on the completion of the project um, but whatever that is 
And then it's like a, usually like a 30-day net on once I receive the invoices, that kind of thing. Once I receive and once I kind of nail that down, you need to stick to that. In fact, I would tell you one of the biggest things that I think can frustrate designers is when, and especially this is horrible that they deal with churches like this, but the reality of it is is when you agree to something, you agree to pay for something, and you don't pay on time. So if somebody delivers for you, you need to work your hardest to, to and they delivered on time and everything's good, you need to deliver, you need to pay them on time. You need to pay them on the front end, the back end, however you work out the payment schedule, make sure you pay them on time. Because guess what? When you're doing something like this, it matters because your church's name is out there. You're representing Christ out there as you as you do these things. And your word will get out in the community real fast if you guys don't deliver on your payment. So make sure you do that. So those are six steps in the process of hiring and finding a freelancer and some best practices for you as you go through that process. Um, it's a great process. Um, I love working with freelancers because you can get a, a new blood, new ideas, new concepts into your work. But at the same time, you want to make sure you protect yourself and you protect them so it's a good, healthy relationship at the end of the project. If you got a question for me, head over to askdaryl.com. That's A-S-K-D-A-R-E-L.com. You can direct message you on Twitter. I'm at D-Girardier. That's D-G-I-R-A-R-D-I-E-R. Also, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or on Android. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening to AskDaryl.com. Don't forget, if you've got questions, go online and submit them to AskDaryl.com.